Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from TSPN, that's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is May 29, 2012. We were off yesterday for Memorial Day. Well, there was no Monday show. Today's show is going to be cool. I have a really great guy hanging on the line here for you named Mike Canaday. He's going to come talk about using sheeps and goats and uh, protection animals and electric fencing. And uh, he'll tell you how you can actually own a bunch of sheeps and goats and guard dogs and, and fencing and have a great big giant goat-sheep operation and actually make a profit and own very little to no land because your sheep and goats are on other people's property and they'll pay you to have them there. I really had never quite heard of anything like this before, and when I did hear about this, I thought, well, this guy can teach us a lot about managing uh, livestock on our own homestead. He can also maybe cause a few people to take the entrepreneurial bent and go out there and actually make a living as a rancher without owning a ranch. That's pretty cool, and he'll be on here in just a moment to tell you how he did it. So uh, next up, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors before I bring Mike on. Sponsor of the day, number one, KnifeKits.com. If you want to learn how to make knives and you don't know how to make knives and you need like kind of a kit and, a, and maybe a DVD and some basic materials and, and just kind of like getting started like those old snap-together model kits when you were a kid with a little bit more to it than that and you want to do something really custom and unique for yourself, KnifeKits.com is the place to go. If you're already a master bladesmith and you just want really cool exotic materials like uh, horn materials, mammoth tusk material, ivory, all kinds of cool stuff, or maybe Damascus steel or really cool different blends of steel, go to KnifeKits.com. From the advanced expert to the brand new beginner, they've got what you need, KnifeKits.com. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactical. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, the, we, you know, we don't talk a tremendous about, about the tactical stuff here because, well, I feel like there's gun shows and stuff for that. But it is important that we think about security and, and tactical applications. We just had a guy on last week about, you know, tactical medicine. And, you know, we learned in that situation that you can end up in a tactical situation at any time, not just if you're military or law enforcement or, or things like that. And sometimes it doesn't even involve guns, but there's tactical situations that you end up, which means that it's not situation normal. There's additional uh, risk factors. And if you want to have the gear you need to deal with those situations, check out Sawtooth Tactical. Everything from Magpul Magazines to SOE Tactical Gear, Titanium Spork. Check that out. I know it sounds kind of wonky, but, man, if you check it out, you're going to want one. I got me two of them. Uh, I, I wanted them so bad that I bartered with uh, Jeff over there and took two in lieu of a month of his sponsorship because uh, I thought they were so cool. So uh, check them out today, SawtoothTactical.com. Remember, the best way to find SawtoothTacticalKnifeKits.com and all of our sponsors Go to the survivalpodcast.com first and click on their banners in the right-hand margin. That way you know you're dealing with our actual sponsors that have been through our listener advisory council vetting process, which is pretty tough. And, you know, people sometimes don't get through and people sometimes actually get fired as sponsors. Do you know, do you know that you can get fired as a sponsor of the survival podcast? You actually can get fired and it's happened. It's happened a couple times <laughs> that I've told a sponsor we don't need you anymore. Goodbye. Um, and that should say something about the ones that we have and the ones that have been with us for years. Uh, it's not just about making money. In fact, I probably need to send these guys, a few of them, some invoices. I'm probably behind because I really don't focus on that aspect of things very much with the sponsors. I want them here for you. just wanted to say that today. Okay, today is a big day. I have a special announcement. Uh, we had the If I Wanted to Save America video con uh, contest, 
and Dean Brock won by a, a very authoritative margin. It wasn't really close. The other two videos were great. Uh, they both got, those two videos co combined got about 40% of the vote. They got about 20% apiece. It was, I think, two votes separating those two. And, and did very, very well because they were very well done videos. Dean seemed to strike a chord with more people. And she actually got 60% of the vote. So Dean's video is going to be the one that we're going to run. Now here, I'm going to ask you to help me here. Thursday morning, I'm going to put, we're going to have her re-upload it as a brand new video. So it kind of starts the whole popular clock again. And I really want to push this one. I, I want you to send this to your family, your friends. I mean, everybody that you can. I want you to watch it again yourself just to count for a view. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Twitter. I don't like ask you guys to like really push something for me very, very often. This is what I'm going to ask you to do because I think it can help awaken people to the reality of prepping versus the crap that they put on, on doomsday preppers and doomsday bunkers and all that. At one time, I was going to do a video that was going to counter that stupidity. I think this is much, much more proactive and much better. And I think that something really special happened to me that day, that I was able to deliver that the way that I did. I don't think it was perfect, but I think it was special. And I'd like you to help me share it with other people. So Thursday, be ready on Thursday morning, unless I hear different from Dean, unless she's going to have trouble re-uploading it or whatever on that day. And I'm going to put it out as soon as it's up. I'm going to put it out on the show. I'm going to put it out on Facebook. I'm going to push it all day long. Please help me. Let's make this one something special. And congratulations to Dean. Just waiting to hear back from her where I PayPal her, uh, her money to. And I'll PayPal the matching uh, amount. Uh, over to uh, Brandon at Bella Ministries in honor of Dean's name as agreed upon in the contest. So not only did Dean win some money, but Bella Ministries uh, will get a little bit more money to go and do good things in other parts of the world. Uh, I've made a commitment that I'm going to keep giving back to the community, and this is just another way that we're doing that, and we'll keep doing it. We'll, we'll you know, when sponsors retire, we'll give their spot away to somebody else. We've we've got this business up and running to a point where it's we're not going to get rich. But we can pay the bills. And in, the, in that scenario, now it's my time to give back. And uh, th th this video, even though it should bring a lot of people to TSP, is really, in my view, a way of giving back. Because I think people need to hear that message. And I think that without you guys, it could have never been that way. Uh, so I'm going to leave the housekeeping there today. I don't want to go too long with it because I have, a, again, a great guest Uh, coming on right now. His name, again, is Mike Kennedy, and uh, he's here to talk to us about all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, again, using sheeps and goats, guard dogs, uh, herding dogs, uh, electric fence, and how to get other people to pay you to put your goats and sheep on their property. Uh, that's pretty unique. And with that, hey, Mike, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jack. Quick, quick story for you. Um Anytime I see somebody with uh, some earbuds and, um, and their phone or uh, an iPod or something, I always ask them if they listen to podcasts. And um, lots of times they, they, they'll say, yeah, and I'll try to turn them into the TSP and turn them on and get them listening. And uh, the first time I got a hold of a guy that was actually listening at the same time to the TSP as I was asking about that, I couldn't believe it. And I threw my <laughs> arms up and threw my arms around him and gave a big hug and I said, You're my people. And it was a big burly guy with a big beard. And uh, uh, he kind of, his eyes got real big, and he kind of freaked. So I don't get all excited about the TSP anymore. I really know somebody. But, yeah, <laughs> thanks. It's great to be here. 
That's a great story. It's certainly the first one I've ever heard like that. Hey, um, you, you have a, a pretty interesting profession. You're, uh, you, you're, I guess we could call you maybe a professional dog handler and professional grazer. Um, and coming from that field, you have some different stuff I've been going over. And one is you actually have a disagreement with kind of a really uh, big name in the uh, in the grazing industry, at least from the B side of things, Joel Saladin. Which I always find it interesting when somebody disagree, you know, is willing to go out on a limb and disagree with somebody like that. So um, you disagree when he says even if you don't know everything about a project, just plunge in and fix problems later. Uh, you said that doesn't work with livestock. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's simple. Uh, with livestock, you don't want to uh, – if you make a mistake and they start getting out, um, and that's going to cause you all kinds of problems. And um, and the bottom line is the more animals get out, that's what they learn from. And if they learn once that they can get out, there's like 20 times. Let's say we're using an electric fence. If they test that fence once and they get out, they're going to have to hit that fence 20 times uh, and get knocked back before they actually believe, yeah, this is going to keep me in. And so, I guess what I'm saying there, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather see people go out and, and plunge into going into into their own business, even if they've never been in business or whatever. But the bottom line is, with animals, is you have to be really careful because they learn these things, and it can be really detrimental to what you're trying to do. And if you're if you're starting with animals, lots of times you start with young animals and. Uh, particularly we'll be doing like tra training guard dogs and that kind of thing. When they're little, we keep them in an electric fence. And that kind of sets the, uh, their mindset for, uh, when they see a fence and, um, uh, that actually becomes like their territory and everything else. And every time that fence has to be on and every time it has to be putting out, um, at least it takes like 5,500 volts to keep a coyote out minimum. And so we like to see our fences at like 8,000. And every time those animals, they hit that fence and get knocked back, um, yeah, you're, you're not going to have much trouble. I've got, when you say I'm a grazer, professional grazer, kind of am, but I'm an urban grazer mostly. And uh, although I, we have our own ranch and it's a few thousand acres altogether. But um, I didn't inherit any ranch, didn't grow up on a ranch, uh, didn't know much about farming or ranching, kind of just got into it because I really liked it and I learned a lot from it and uh, and it's actually uh, turned out to be the most lucrative thing I've ever done. And yeah, I mean, you're not like a big landowner, but let me read the laundry list here. You have a 1,000 sheep, 1,500 goats, 50 free-range chickens, six guardian dogs, six border collies, and dry land farm over 600 acres. So, Kind of your thing is that a person can do stuff like that and not even own land. Uh, so how how can a person with no land own livestock? Don't we need a place to put them? Yeah. You know, uh, not long ago I saw this article. I was like, this is at the tractor supply place, and and um, there's a magazine rack, and in one of the magazines says, oh, uh, you know, how to acquire farmland. So. I didn't have a lot of time to look at, so I just grabbed it and paid for it and uh, looked at it when I got it home. I thought it would be something about an ingenious way to come up with some land when you don't have any money, because when people are starting out and you're starting out homesteading or what, what even prepping, and most people don't have a lot of money, and the money's kind of tight. 
And I thought, well, they'd be coming up with some kind of ingenious way to to, uh, to get some land, you know, maybe some purchase lease programs or whatever, or find some cheap land someplace. But actually, they were talking about soil types and that kind of thing. And when I'm looking for land, and I'm driving around, and when I see wheat, I say, like, man, there's instead of gold and then their hills, there's gold and then their wheat. And so I can, uh, if I've got electric fence and I've got a bunch of animals, um, I can turn those weeds into food and fiber and, uh, and put that money in my bank. And I don't have to worry about taxes. I don't have to worry about anything like that. All I've got to do is find that owner. Sometimes they'll pay. I mean, I've been paid as much as, uh, three to four thousand dollars an acre to graze an acre of land and sometimes i've done it for free and sometimes i pay people it kind of depends on the situation but um yeah i see every if i see weeds i see gold and and that's really true you know it's kind of ironic to me because you're successful at what you do another person that i know is successful at what he does it does it almost completely the opposite this is a guy that does cattle in uh in west texas he has a feedlot of 100 acres he has it broken into one acre paddocks, and he's a successful cattle rancher without owning any cows. The people bring him the cows in the winter, and he feeds them. You know, moves them. He moves all these cows that are almost arm in arm, one paddock a day, and he only raises about ninety paddocks a year. So ten of them get a complete year's worth of rest, and, and he's successful without owning any cows, and you're successful without owning any land, or without owning, I'd say, much land. You probably do own some by now. I would, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, we have two different ranches. They total like 140 acres of actual land that we own. In California, that's a lot of money, you know. But uh, I'll tell you the reason, and we used to have cows too, but the thing with cows is if you don't have a lot of money, you're competing with people that do have money. If they've got cattle, um, it's really hard to get that cattle land. It usually requires a little better land, and it also, uh, you know, lots of that stuff, when they've got cattle leases, they've been in, those families for generations, it's impossible to break into that stuff. So what you can get for free, uh, you can get land from the government. You can get land from the local government. You can be driving around, uh, particularly people that are in urban areas. Lots of times you can find a retention pond. Um, all those things are, you know, can be part of your farm and not have to pay any taxes on them. But if you're competing with the cattle people for land, it's expensive. And every time you lay money out of your pocket, Every time you reach in to take out a dollar to to buy a bale of hay, and a bale of hay in California right now, hard to find a bale of alfalfa for less than 20 bucks a bale. And in a little bit, a while ago, I ran out of hay, and we grew some, but we used too much of it, and I had to buy. I think I bought 10 bales, and it cost me 250 bucks at the feed store. You know, it was just a ridiculous amount of money. And when you do that, you're never going to see that 250 bucks again. That's gone. That's money you can't use for prepping or, or use for your homestead or, or use to get out of your apartment to get your own piece of property. And when you're trying to be self-sufficient, the most important thing to have is your own land. Even if you don't actually own it, lots of times uh, we got into a, a one piece of property where it was being developed and that kind of the bottom fell out of that market. But we've been grazing it for free for eight years. It's 200 acres. And just this one piece, uh, we've never paid a nickel in, in taxes or anything on it, but we've made money on it. Now, if that was all fenced for cattle, I wouldn't be able to do that. Somebody would be paying that guy for that land, but nobody wants it because it doesn't have any fence on it. So I've got my electric fence, and I know how to use it, 
and, uh, and, and again, it's just every time I see a piece of land like that, I see gold, I see silver. Now, you're, you're very big on not spending money you don't have to, but on the same hand, you also advise people that sometimes it's not a good idea to try to save money when you're getting started. So, so what do you mean by that? Well, I think you need to do things in the right way, and uh, it's important to have the right equipment. And like uh, our trucks, our trucks are brand new trucks. I don't advise people to do that, but um, I've got animals in a lot of different places, and I'll put a lot of miles on a truck. I can't use an old truck for something like that. I'll just, if I'm hauling, uh, we run double deck trailers with these goats on them, and um, they'll be pulling a lot of weight, maybe grossing about 30,000 pounds, and I can't be stuck on the interstate someplace with uh, 150 goats behind me. So I'll spend money on, on good equipment that way. The most important thing to have is is good fencing, the right kind of fencing, and knowing how to use it. I think that's uh, that's actually critical. I'll have a thousand goats in downtown San Francisco. And you can imagine what would happen if they ever got out. You know, they, I don't have to keep my goats in ninety five percent of the time. I've got to keep them in a hundred percent of the time. And, and that's part about every time that that goat goes to that fence, it's got to get knocked back, and it's got to it give them something to remember. So yeah, I think that it's important. And sometimes the most the, the really good equipment is not any more expensive, or it may even be less expensive than than the cheap stuff. It's just knowing what works and and um, and then and being anal about stuff, being anal about the fence, being attention to detail. Every time you see the fence walk up, and um, actually, if you're going to get electric fence, the first thing you should buy is a fence tester. It's not the fence. It's a good hundred and twenty dollar fence tester so that you know exactly when that fence goes down a, a, a thousand volts find out why it went down a thousand volts before mm. it goes down five thousand volts and um you know either predators get in or the animals get out um we've even had our fence go down someplace where a deer got caught into it or something like that deer don't know much about it and um, and the animals will still stay in just because the fence will be sitting there on the ground snapping and they just won't go near it yeah um and you know you're mentioned on the on the the price of things. I find often that we have to look at the total cost as well. Like good equipment might cost more. Like you said, sometimes it doesn't, but it might cost more up front. But cheap equipment ends up always costing you more long term. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no there's no question about it. Uh, always buy quality stuff. And yeah, and the cheapest stuff, yeah, maybe cheaper, but you'll end up replacing it. It's, yeah. That's, a, or like you said, if you have a thousand goats get out in San Francisco, you've got to, you've got a problem. Make the news. It was not in a good way. <laughs> no, and yeah. and the thing is, if if uh, if anything like that happens, um, the worst thing is I'll lose my insurance, and um, you can't operate without insurance. And we do those twenty five hundred animals are gross they will generate gross sales doing grazing of mid six figures so that's a big business if, if I lost my insurance I'd be SOL out of business definitely now why do you use sheep and goats I mean you kind of touched on it already because of how hard it is to enter the cattle uh, industry but do they have certain advantages as well as far as well, you've got to transport these things, so I guess they're easier to transport. Will they eat things cows won't? I mean, what makes them such a, a good animal for what you're doing? Well, yeah, you pretty much summed it up. But, um, well, let's turn this question back at you. 
Do you know uh, what's the number one meat animal in the world? What what animal do most people get their meat out of? Um, I would probably guess chicken if it was any and all meat for, let's say, mammals. I'd probably say it probably is goat. It's goat, absolutely. And the number one animal that produces all the dairy products in the world, or not all of it, but the majority of dairy products in the world, what is that animal? Is it a whole sea cow? That's definitely goat, right? It is, it is a goat, yeah. So in most of the world, is what? A third world country. And uh, <laughs> the reason that um, goats and sheep are, are really popular is, and the reason why I use them, is it's pretty simple. They could get by on a lot lower quality feed. And uh, particularly a goat, its uh, its system works really fast, and they can they do a lot of browsing and they eat a lot of woody kind of plants that other animals won't eat. Um, goats will eat star thistle, they'll eat different kinds of thistle, they'll eat poison ivy, poison oak, all that kind of yeah. stuff, and and turn that into meat and fiber. And, and let's say that in in collapse, we had a um, we had to worry about those inputs. And like right now, I don't think lots of times it's economically sustainable for people to be feedlotting animals. And we had a lady on the podcast that had like an acre and a quarter, and she had like six head of cattle on I just don't see how that works. It certainly wouldn't work in California. It's not economically sustainable, you know. Mm-hmm. But if she had goats, that would be sustainable because you really won't have to buy much of anything other than the time the ground was frozen and covered in snow. Where I am, the ground never freezes. It hardly ever gets a frost. But, um, yeah, so you, you can um, you can get land or get money on land that is just a ditch bank or land that nobody else wants. I've had, I've had a, a piece of land that uh, I didn't even know who owned it. Somebody was inherited and had just been sitting there for years and years. I went and grazed it. You know, it was, I don't know, maybe 300 acres or something. Nobody ever stopped me from doing it. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I put that money in my bank, and the, and the land looked a lot better, you know, and it was close to my home. But uh, So how do you charge for your service? You've, you've said that sometimes you do get paid to graze land because it makes sense. I don't have to hire somebody to mow it. Because your your goats or your sheep will take care of it for me. Do you do other things as well? Like, do you do wool or meat or or dairy product or you know how do you monetize this? Yeah, well, uh, actually, we we sell baby goats and baby lambs and that kind of thing. But the actually the most amount of money we make is in the grazing end of it. It's like a whole different product. It's a service, um, and that's where most of the money actually is. So. If um, let, let's say the the average animal that we have, or if we average that out the the monetary part of it, it would be in excess of two hundred dollars a head just to do the grazing. And if I and grazing animals don't have high kidding percentages and lambing percentages, they they just don't because uh, okay. you know their bodies tell them. We don't need to make triplets on this kind of stuff, you know. So they may bring in a hundred bucks or so a head for their babies, um, and we sell a lot of, uh, of goats for doing the same kind of stuff we do, brushwork. So, and and but they probably bring in two hundred dollars a head in going out and clearing land for people, and that's probably how I got into it in the first place. Is the, the first place that I bought was covered in brush. And and if you're a homesteader or 
back to the land or whatever, you're not going to buy a real good farmland. You're going to end up with something like that. And the easiest, cheapest way to do that is animals. And at that time, I used sheep, and it was it was so overgrown. You couldn't once you got out past a little bit out past the door, 20 feet, everything was vines and broken down apple trees and thistle and just all kinds of weeds. And uh, I think on the one side of the road, we had like 16 acres. This was back in New York. And then I realized, I started doing this with sheep and realized uh, in about six or seven years, and this place had trees that were falling over. And, but it also had a lot of rain there. And um, in about six or seven years, I realized I had a park and I never did anything. I never hauled any of it away. It just kind of went down in the ground. It was gone. The place looked like a park. Didn't cost me anything to clear it. And uh, I knew a guy that uh, back in, when times were good, uh, he would buy some high-end property that was all overgrown and turn and put his goats on there and then turn around and maybe make a hundred or 200 grand off a, off a piece of property just because they gave it more curb appeal. And sure. I mean, because the, these animals are actually improving the land. I think that people like you look at, you see weeds and you see gold, right? I, when I look and see weeds, I see, that's the land telling me that it's missing something. So like thistle that you say a goat will eat, well, that'll mine certain minerals that are not bioavailable to more desirable species. Now, when the goat goes out there and eats it and craps his goat turds all over the place, those minerals that that thistle is mining now become bioavailable to other plants, and the thistle over time will, will, will stop growing because it's done its job. So when you're doing this, not only are you maintaining the land, you're actually improving the land, where if we just went out there with a brush hog and mowed it down, eventually it'll do the same thing. But the animals accelerate the biological evolution of the property because that's what they're supposed to do. That's what their, that's what their purpose is, is a grazing animal. Well, that's the thing, uh, Jack. You know, too many times people either they don't know or they forget. And that is that um, animals need plants, but just as much plants need animals. And um, and when you're talking about the permaculture thing, that's that's part of that loop. It, and it it just can't be stressed enough. Yeah, you've got to have animals in the loop. You've got to have that manure. You've got to have those um, those minerals go back down in the ground through an animal, and then the plants will actually do better. Yeah, absolutely. Now you talked about controlling these animals using electric fencing. And this is something very, very interesting to me as I look at buying a larger piece of property and, and, and moving into East Texas uh, next year because I'd like to have, you know, a few sheep or goats. And, and that seems to make a lot more sense to me on the size property I'm looking for uh, than cattle, certainly, even smaller cattle. What type of fencing should a person be looking for to control these animals? You've already kind of hit on the fact that it's, you know, like they have those invisible fences for dogs with the shot collars, and they don't just work. You have to train the animal to understand the boundary. But I'm sure that the fence itself is also a key element. Absolutely. Um, that kind of – we use it the, – like the guard dogs, they'll actually be on duty inside those fences, and they know when they're out. When they're out, they'll be out, and um, they'll be out trying to get petted from people. People can't believe how friendly they are. Uh, but when they're inside the fence, they are ferocious. They're scary. And so they know the difference. And, and those fences, um, it's, that those are your security. And it keeps, I think one of the big problems with 
uh, when people are just getting into it is uh, it's predators. Predators. I met a guy just not too long ago, and um, and he had uh, I think three of these Rhode Island Reds came out. Well, um, I have those Rhode Island Reds, and one of the uh, ideas I got from was listen to the TSP, and and so I had these free range chickens, and so this guy had free range chickens, and I said I started striking up a conversation with him, you know, and. And he said to me, yeah, he said, I had 20 of them, and I'm down to three from my neighbor's dogs. And um, people don't actually know, but all you got to do is get some fencing and get some fencing that will work. That guy had a complete failure. He was, you know, he shrugged his shoulders and he gave up, and he didn't have to. And he could still have his his, uh, his 20 chickens and and been perfectly happy, but he, he just didn't know how to deal with it. So... That electric fencing, we use uh, the netting fence. Get it from Premier. Don't make any money from them. Uh, they, they they just sell a fence that can take a licking and keep on ticking. So you want to say the name of that again, just so make sure that we get it right. Is it you say netty? It's well, the the name of the company that you get the fence from that we found holds up well. And again, it's one of those things that it's not the cheapest stuff, but it's the stuff that works and lasts the longest is uh, Premier One Fence. If you do a Google search on that, you'll end up at that company. And um, they sell a, a netting fence for chickens. They sell it for... Okay, netting, uh, okay. Yeah, netting. it, and, and they sell it for um, other livestock. I mean, when I, had, when I had cattle, I used to use it for them too. And it may be a little bit of overkill, but it, it worked for me. <laughs> and one thing about the uh, the netting is that it's also effective on on predators. And you know, we're talking about the United States. We're we're talking a lot a lot of different predators. But the number one predator in the whole country is the coyote. They're killing mm-hmm. machines. And to um, to keep goats in and to keep predators out, you need like 5,500 bolts. And some of these cheap farm store fencers don't put out 5,500 bolts with, even without a fence on them. And when you hook a fence to them, they really go down. And when you're talking about that netting fence, um, when you look at it, it looks like a plastic net like um, like you would play volleyball over or something like that. And it's actually got four to six strands of very fine stainless steel in there. And that's what conducts the electricity. And it's very hard to push that very far. You can maybe push it through five or six fences going one way, which is about um, 700 and maybe 1,000 feet one way and 1,000 feet the other way would probably be about the maximum. And we use um, a Speedrite charger, a Speedrite number 3,000. And the reason we use that particular charger, and you can find them on eBay or whatever, um, is that they're cheap? They cost about 200 bucks or less. And uh, when they are running unlocked without a fence on them, they'll run about 12 to 13,000 volts. So when you put a fence on them, they may drop to 10,000 volts. And then if something happens, the fence gets a little bit of grass load on it, or it gets wet, or a stick falls on it, or somehow tumbleweeds get into it, or it starts. Um, a piece of it falls down where you still got 7,500 volts in there and it'll still hold, it'll still keep the animals in. So if you're starting with something, say some of these uh, cheap uh, solar chargers, 
um, they don't put out maybe 5,500 bolts with, with nothing on them. So as soon as you put that fence on and something else happens to it, it's just not effective. The interesting thing is that people seem to think they can just go out and buy these fences and throw them up and then turn a bunch of animals into them. And all of a sudden the animals run through all the fence and it's like, well, electric fence doesn't work. My animals don't respect it. Well, yeah, you know what? You've got to be a little smarter than the animals you're trying to keep in. <laughs> so if if you've got a, whatever, a round pen or an, another physical fence, you set up your fence, whatever kind of fence you're going to use, and say, we use a netting fence because it's, it's effective on predators. And we've got a bunch of them. And so you set up that netting fence when, you, when you're going to go turn your animals in the first time, set it up inside uh, a physical fence, something that they might even be used to. It's just set it on the inside and let them get hit by it and still hold them in, and um, and that'll just break them. I mean, you got to train animals to the fence. And, yeah, too many times people just they'll set up a fence and oh, this doesn't work, and they'll you know put it on the internet and try to sell it and, and just say it, it doesn't work. It actually does work, and it's pretty effective on. Um, but when you use a guard dog and the electric fence, it's pretty effective on predators. And we have bad coyotes. Really bad coyotes. They run in packs. And uh, other places, well, they got bears and wolves. We don't have bears and wolves. But uh, when you set this fence up and you put a, a white dog in there, then you're, um, you've got some pretty good predator protection. And uh, there's nothing worse. I mean, it just feels when, when you get a coyote attack. We've had one time we didn't have a dog in. And we set up a big fence, and apparently the only thing I can think of is that there was we set it up someplace where there was a coyote den somewhere in where we where we put the animals. Oh, so he was and inside. Yeah. As soon as we as soon as we turned in the next day, we lost like 60 head of babies. Oh. And oh. Yeah. one one thing about when you with coyotes, it's pretty much the same all over. They won't come in in the first. Um, they won't come in in the first three days because coyotes are pretty wary animals. So they'll kind of stay away from you at that point. And if, if you don't have, say, this fencing or if you don't have, if you're worried about coyotes or you just had a kill or something, there's a, a way you can get some cheap coyote protection. We use it all the time. It's been effective for us. It's probably not effective on the other problem, which is um, – you know, marauding dogs, dogs that were turned loose and running in packs. But what we do is you go down to, uh, you can go down to oh, Kmart, Walmart, uh, AutoZones, um, O'Reilly's, whatever you've got. They've got these yellow flashing lights that you can put on top of your truck. It's, say, if you're plowing snow or construction kind of light, they get the magnetic deal. They plug into your cigarette lighter. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and like AutoZone has a deal where they have the female part of that that just took to a battery. So you can get a, go down and get a, um, a brand new RV battery and get that set up so that, uh, this, this yellow flashing light will go around. And you put that on at night and, um, get the animals to stay in that one area. Lots of times they'll stay by the light just because they realize that there's some protection with that. And we've never really had a kill. Uh, where we had that light and a guard dog. And the the thing with guard dogs is if you've got packs of coyotes, what they're going to do, that coyote is going to send um, – they're pretty smart. They're smarter than I am. But they they will send one dog, one coyote will go out. 
and keep the guard dog busy. And the other ones will somehow get through the fence and go in and do the kill. So um, lots of times if you're like in the areas where we are, we have to use a more than one guard dog. But most of the time we don't have more than one guard dog because we've got animals here and there. So when we use that, that light, that flashing light, and use a guard dog, we've never really had any. Even though there's packs of them out there, we haven't had any any kills that way. I don't know if it would work for everybody, but I think it probably would. At least it's a quick trick if you're in trouble. And, well, anything uh, that improves your odds, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of worked for us. But, again, um, with uh, with that fence, Unless somebody else has taught them to jump fences, coyotes don't jump fences. Mm. They try to go through them. So if you've got a lot of power in that fence um, and they get knocked back by it. But the other thing about coyotes is they seem to have a way to transmit that to the other coyotes. If there's danger here, stay away. And, uh, of course, coyotes are pretty much they're nocturnal. And that's why the guard dogs are nocturnal, too. They'll, pretty much the guard dogs are up all night and sleep all day. So it's pretty interesting. On the uh, on the fences themselves, so when you go out to graze a piece of property, um, and you see like a 300-acre property, obviously you're not going to go in there with a portable fence and, 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 and fence in 300 acres in one shot. So about how big of an area when you're setting up these fences on other people's property are you setting up, and what's the procedure like for moving to the next, like I guess you're doing kind of paddock shift type stuff? Sure. Yeah, well... Goats especially, um, people think goats are tough, and they're really not that tough. They're really subject to stress. If you start, um, if you start trying to save money on food, and and goats do really well on a large volume of food, it doesn't have to be high quality stuff. Just get a lot of food going through them. And uh, like our goats, we don't uh, we don't treat them for anything. We don't give them any shots. The only thing we do is worm them a couple times a year. And they're just not into an environment where they have to worry. They have, we have a closed herd. Don't bring any in and out um, and kind of do things in a, in a natural way, that kind of, except for the, the worming, you pretty much got to use chemicals for that. But so it gets us back to the, to the fencing and how big a, a paddock we're going to do. Goats, uh, the way they eat is pretty much like me when I get to the salad bar, you know, I am not going to eat the broccoli first, you know. If there's nothing left, I'm going to go eat the broccoli. But first, I'm going to go have the good stuff. I'm going to have the melons and the fruit and all the other stuff. And, um, and so what, ha- what happens with the goats is you have to have a, a pretty much a rising plane in nutrition all the time. If you want healthy goats, a high plane of nutrition works for that. And if you try to deny them and maybe you're trying to save money and like, oh, man, I'm almost out of hay. I'm going to cut back a little bit. It's when you start having things like coccidia and things start going bad on you. we got sick goats, especially as many as we've got, 1,500. It's like it's very expensive to fix that kind of stuff. Better not to just to keep the food in front of them. And when, you, when you're when you doing the, the rotational deal with the, with the fencing, that means you pretty much need like a – a one to three acre pasture and depending on how many goats you got in there. You know, we're running groups of at least 500. So and what happens is they're going to eat all the stuff they like first, just like me at the salad bar. And then they're going to go to stuff they don't like so much. And, and if you had a big area, they're going to eat all that stuff that they like first. And then the crap is going to be left. Then their nutrition uh, level is going to go down. 
that's when you start ending up with sick goats. But if you can keep the paddocks fairly small, just keep just like your friend with the cattle that's got the one-acre paddock, just keep on moving them like that, then they're pretty much always getting a higher point of nutrition within a day or two at the most. You know, you're just kind of um, hitting that higher plane of nutrition and you end up with not having to treat sick animals. If, if you've got a place and you've got all these antibiotics and miracle drugs and all that other stuff, you're probably doing something wrong. Sure. You know? sure. I'm not saying that we don't have some of that stuff someplace, but... Um, I can't tell you where it is. We don't use it enough that I would even know where it is. You know, it's just when something like that happens and I've got to treat an animal, there's some kind of failure. Let's find out what's going on here, you know. Um, if there's pink eye, you know, what's going on with that? You know, how, how do we, you know, let's stop this as quick as, as we can, you know. And sometimes pink eye, you might as well just let it go through, but let it go through the, the herd or the flock. Most generally... Um, we don't have any of that stuff because we're running a closed herd. You'd have to be exposed to a herd that 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 has organisms. Yeah. So scale this down for me. So you're doing one to three acres with with a, a bunch of goats at, at at a shift, but can you, based on your experience, scale this down to the homesteader that's got you know three or four goats and and, and four acres of pasture. You know, what would they be looking at? The frequency and about how much space would you give them? Because obviously they don't have to spend anywhere near as much money on fencing as somebody with an operation the size of yours. Right. Well, yeah, you want to you want to keep on moving. Don't, the other thing that, that when you're in in a homestead situation, you're not only just worried about the goats; you're worried about your land. And let's say you don't want to. Let's say you don't have weeds. Let's say you've got good pasture, which I never have any of that, but we know <laughs> what that's like. But if you had good pasture, then you're going to want to go in there, hit it for like three or four days and get off of it again. Take it right down to nothing and so it'll pop back up again. The longer you leave those animals on there, the, the worse it is for the, sure. for the plant, the vegetation. So, but, I mean, give and, me, and, I, and I'm not a plant guy. I'm, a, I'm an animal guy. But give me a size, though. Let's say I've got three, four goats. Um, how much space would you give them per rotation? You know, if i got four acres to put them on. Would you give them a tenth? Would you give them less than that? Would you know? Because you're not talking about hundreds like you've got. You know, you're talking about a, a small little herd for dairy and, and whatnot. Right. Well, uh, you know, it's hard for me to think like that because I'm always thinking in. Uh, well, let's put it this way: in fairly good brush that I get into, 450 goats eat an acre a day. That's okay. the kind of stuff I deal with, and then you could cut that down by doing sure. the math on it. But it also gets down to a point where what where is this uh where is this land? Is it a possibility that uh neighbors' dogs could come over and come up to that fence and when they come up to one side of the fence, guess what the goats are gonna do or your chickens or whatever? They're gonna run to the other side of that fence, maybe knock that fence down just out of fear. So you've almost got to have a fence that's big enough to allow them, you know, to to get away from move. those kind of yeah, the predators or whatever. So it's it's not only you know how much you're, you're dealing with there, but I would I would probably try to keep that as, as small an area as I could. And now those fences come 165 foot. They run about a buck a foot, but okay. um, they're they're 165 feet. So you could make a, a rectangle out of those, and uh, as long as um, the, the goats wouldn't have to deal with anything like coyotes or predators, because that's what we've had. You know what? tell you the story about my border collies um i've got some tough border collies 
they are tough. And and just for the fun of it, they decided to go over and see my chickens. And one dog was on the one side of the pen scaring the chickens. The chickens would go out, and this was a, a wire pen um, that we had some younger chickens in, and we kind of put them in there to get used to the older chickens so they just didn't go in and start fighting and stuff, one group of chickens and another one. Anyways, the dogs were going around this pen, and the one dog would run at one side, and the other dog would be on the other side. So when the chickens came flying across, they would stick their heads through the netting of the, it's actually a, a wire um, hog panel, and they would stick their head through the other side, and the dog on the other side would take the head off. So, oh, man. You know, yeah. 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 So there's there's quite a bit to think about that way, but I think they're the from what I've garnered, probably the smartest breed of dog in the world is the border collie. Um, the ones I've dealt with are just incredibly intelligent. I've always thought, uh, you know, I've owned shepherds and huskies, and I always thought they were pretty intelligent dogs. And basically, you stack them up to to a border collie, and they kind of seem like they're a little bit retarded. Um, they're 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 very brilliant dogs. Yeah. Here's the thing, Jack, um, and I don't know how they figure this, but when you do some kind of a search on the most intelligent dog on the Internet, it, the Border Collie is usually always in the top three. And uh, you know what else is always pretty well up there? Um, the Standard Poodle. And, you know, I've never thought Standard Poodles were all that smart, but apparently from this test that they use, they say, yeah, that they are. I don't know what you could use a Standard Poodle for. They're great at doing tricks and that kind of thing. But, you know, they can't retrieve anything for you. They can't guard anything for you. They don't hurt anything for you. Uh, so what are we dealing here with here? Are we dealing with, with intelligence? Eh, probably not so much. We're probably dealing with instinct. And... um and then we have the big white dogs, which are probably way down on the scale of uh, intelligence. But uh, the things that those big white dogs can do, the um, What do you mean by big Pyrenees? white dogs? What are you talking about, the Pyrenees? Okay, okay. I'm sorry, yeah, I'm talking about protection dogs. And, yep. um, and basically the, the Great Pyrenees, the Anatolian Shepherds, the Akbash, and the Marama. I think would really make good um, pets as well as uh, guard dogs. And they don't just have to guard livestock. They'll guard other stuff too. Um, and th basically they get all their operating ability from their instinct. And that's just so much different than we think of with people. We think of people and intelligence. Well, this guy's not smart enough to tie his own shoes. How's he going to succeed in business? But yet these dogs, they don't have to be rocket scientists. They're, maybe they're just motivated by something else. They're motivated by a different kind of instinct. That big white dog, he looks around. We put him, uh, these young puppies, they almost train themselves. They pretty much do train themselves. You, you put them in, in one of those fences, and they kind of grow up in there. Everything they see in there is theirs. You know, this is my yeah. stuff. You know, that's my yeah. stuff, you know. It's not so much that they, I mean, they'll die for a chicken or, you know, they'll give up their life. They'll they'll put up a hell of a fight with whatever comes on the inside of that fence. And it's not so much that they're doing it because they love the livestock they're trying to protect. It's they're doing it because somebody trespassed on their stuff, you know, the, yeah. you know, on their property. This is mine. Keep the hell out. And they will, you know, give their life to defend it. That can be used, um, and we and we actually do it. One one ranch that we have has a shop on it, and um, you know, it's a typical shop. It has a bunch of stuff in there people would would like to have, and we use a white dog in there, 
uh, happens to be a Pyrenees, but it uh, could be one of the, we really like the Anatolians. And that Pyrenees uh, keeps anything out of there. The Anatolians are even scarier. And um, they're also, but they'd also make pretty good pets. And they'll, they will come at the fence and dare you to come over. And I think, I think it was, was it Joe Nobody that was on saying that uh, the dogs, yeah, I let him go with that. He was talking about that. You know, he said, I've never seen a dog as a real threat. And and I was thinking you you haven't run into a Dogo Argentino then because <laughs> that, that'll open your whole perspective right there in a different way. But, yeah, I there's times when I have a guest that says something that I just figure I'm not going to I'm not going to create an argument over. Yeah, well, you know, I thought that was like, man, you know, it, here's the thing. Uh, if Joe nobody or Rambo or whatever else comes to your door and he's got a bandolero bullets and he's got a machine gun and he's got body armor, chances are you just better bend over and kiss your ass goodbye if you're an average guy. <laughs> you're not going to be able to compete with that guy. But I don't think Correct. we're going to have that kind of a thing. You know, I think it's going to be more people going after the long, they're going after the low-hanging fruit. They're maybe they're going after your, Maybe they're going after your oranges, or maybe they're going after your apples, or whatever it is they're going after. They're going after something they can sell, or yep. they're going after something that they think that they can use later. They're just going after something because it's easy to get. And I'm not Joe nobody. I'm Joe average guy. I think it's going to be, you know, I mean, I listen to the TSP. I've got my guns, and I think it's going to be very hard for me to shoot somebody. I, I really do. I think I'm even if somebody if there's a really bad guy at the door, somebody doing a home invasion, and I've got my and I and I've got let's say we're using electronic um, equipment to find out if somebody's got in the perimeter around my place. Um, that electronic stuff isn't going to tell me what those people are there for. It's going to tell me that somebody's violated my space, but. Am I going to go grab my gun and go out and shoot somebody for that? I, I don't think so. You know, on the other hand, if Joe Nobody comes in and he wants to shoot my dog or uh, shoot Jack Spierko's dog, I think that there's no compunction about, uh, well, I don't think I'd shoot this guy. I think I think I could pull a trigger and then do it in a hurry. And I think that if, uh, if it's somebody that's just out trying to, you know, see what they can get, um, you know, I don't want to hurt somebody like that. Sure. Um, but sure. if it's somebody that's I mean, going to... life is at, at, at uh, risk. Now, the whole thing you're talking about with fencing and the dogs, I've seen this in non-trained dogs. I have this lab mix. He's like a lab and chow and maybe some pit in him. We're not sure. He's one of these, you know, shelter dogs that we took in when he was a pup. And this dog's never been trained anything. And if you walk in our house, as long as we open the door and let you in, you could pet the dog, you'll roll over and ask you to scratch his belly. But I remember one day in particular, I'm sitting in the house, and I hear a knock on the door. And the guy says, I'm with the cable company. I need to get in your backyard to work on the cable pedestal. I'm like, well, just go through the gate. He's like, no. And then I realized, like, you can tell this guy's scared, you know. And he goes, you got dogs back there. I'm saying, the dog's fine, you know. Just go in. You come in through the house and go out the back door. No, he wouldn't go. And I finally realized, I said, did, did you try to climb over the fence from the neighbor's side? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, oh, he doesn't like that. And it was, if you come through the door, you're accepted into, because that's how you're supposed to enter. 
But if somebody tried to come over that fence, that dog would literally try to tear them apart. And like you said, it's not because he's a rocket scientist dog. It's just because this is my space, and you're not supposed to come in that way. Exactly. You know, the, the thing with these white dogs is they're – I mean, I had a border collie that was pretty mean. But – and and he would he would defend me for – it didn't matter. I mean, he would he would growl and show his teeth, but he's still a border collie. It doesn't really scare anybody. It's not no. going to scare Joe nobody, you know? Yeah. But I got a couple Anatolians that we run together sometimes. And, you know, we not only have four-legged predators like the coyotes, we have two-legged predators out here. Sure. And um, these Anatolians, they weigh over 100 pounds apiece as a male and a female. And when they come running out the fence, it's like the ground shakes and the hair stands up on the back of your neck. I swear to God, Jack. And you know, I know I believe dogs, you. you know. But yeah. if I pull up in a strange truck, I want them to know that it's me, especially at night, because they're yeah. scary, you know. Yeah. And so that's part of the that's part of turning people back. Let them go someplace where the pickings are easier. Yeah. And yeah, so that and and they're these these dogs are hard, just like a computer, man. They're hardwired to do this stuff. Uh, they've been bred for hundreds of years. The Anatolian and the Akbash are from Turkey, and I think the, and those are you, the would Pyrenees be, is from Spain. Those would be your three big picks then for for guardian dogs then. Absolutely, because I think you could you could trust them around your kid. There's other dogs that I don't even want to go into them, but there's other dogs. If you've got wolves um, and you got bears, these dogs will fight wolves and bears. But I'm I, I really be really afraid about my grandkids. You know, yeah. the other thing about um, if if you've got family members and we have grandkids come in and stuff, and and we have some scary dogs and. What we'll do is uh, I'll go to the store, buy some uh, chicken hot dogs or turkey hot dogs. Pork hot dogs aren't good for dogs. But uh, go in and buy some of those, throw them in a microwave, cook them up a little bit, put them in a plastic bag, and um, they, so they're already pre-cooked. And the kids can go out and feed these dogs um, hot dogs. And I think a dog that's, that's gotten a hot dog from somebody just never forgets <laughs> that person. But, you know, they've yeah. always got a warm spot in their heart for that person. And so it's, we don't use them to reward the dog. We use them to make friends with those dogs. And um, so uh, especially the kids and the, and the people that we that we love that those dogs don't see all the time, we want to make sure that they know that, that they're friends. And uh, these dogs are uh, – well, we had a knockbosh this one time. He was with about 800 head of goats, and somehow the fence went down, and the goats got out. And they were on a big ranch there on like a 10,000-acre ranch that one of our friends had. And on that ranch, there was also a bunch of homes. And originally, it was for farm workers, but at some point, they you don't put farm workers in those kind of homes anymore. So um, these were rented out to college kids and just people from around the area. And um, it's a beautiful place. The 10,000 acres these goats had to go, they went to the ranch headquarters, which was about three miles away. And I got the call that the goats were out and the dog was with them and they were on this guy's lawn and there was all these people there. And I'm thinking like, holy shit, you know, I've seen this dog. I've seen this dog grab an animal and crush its skull. I mean, this dog is powerful. And um, I was like, man, I couldn't get over there fast enough. Well, there's everybody out there, and they're petting the dog, and they're having a ball, and they're throwing sticks and all this stuff. And I'm thinking like, holy, you know, but it's the same thing. 
the dog is not on guard duty anymore. The fence isn't there. The dog is perfectly friendly and loves everybody, you know? Sure. He's over there leaning up against people trying to get him to rub his belly and stuff because we're always like that with our dogs. We're always, you know, some people think that you shouldn't be friendly with the dogs or you shouldn't, um, you know, you make, remain aloof from them, but we're the opposite. You know, we go out there and rub the bellies and play with them and, and, uh, and do that stuff. But, but they know the difference is when they're on guard duty and when they're not. So, yeah, and there's certain, I think they have a certain instinct too that they they can read threats to a degree. Um, they definitely value that perimeter, but uh, I, I I've seen with my dogs, you know, they're completely friendly and well socialized, but they're very defensive of the property. Uh, we even had a guy one time came up, hung out with us all night long, drove his car out of the parking lot uh, or out of the driveway down to the fence. Was some of the neighbors had left and locked the fence. So instead of driving his car back, he came walking back down the driveway, and our German Shepherd was ready to kill him, even though he had oh, just yeah. been there because he was like, you've left the circle, right? Like You, you know, when you come back down, the, and as soon as he realized who it was, he let the dog let up. But when he first saw somebody coming back down there, it was, you're coming out of the dark, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, what are you doing on my property? And even though the guy had only left, you know, two minutes ago. And I think they have that kind of like they they're not as smart as people, obviously, but they have a certain read on what's normal and what's not normal and what's acceptable to them and what's not. And when we can have them be very well socialized. And I, I've always found it very dangerous that people try to take protection dogs and not socialize them, because just like you described, if that dog goes away from his own area of operation so to speak you want him to switch into friendly dog because you don't want anybody hurt you don't want the state or the city seeing your dog as dangerous and putting them down you want that dog to come back home and go back and doing his job as soon as possible right well and that's why a lot of people you know they've seen these dogs when they're on duty and and then they see them when they're outside that fence and they just can't believe the difference you know and they're they're, they're almost in love with these dogs, you know. It's like they, it's a whole different side to them, you know. When they, when they first see them come out, they're like scared. And then, you know, when they see them playing with their dogs, and uh, it just changes their whole attitude about the dogs, you know. But think of how cheap security this really is for anybody, even if you don't have animals. You know, you could get a dog for a puppy for, I don't know, 250 to 500 bucks probably. And, um, and, and start training like that, set it up in that perimeter fence, and um, by the time the thing gets to be a year old, you've got a, a, a pretty good protection dog. And uh, thank you. I've never told this story to anybody, but this happened to me when I was really too dumb to do much about it. But there was this lady. Uh, we had some friends, a couple, and um, and, the, and the lady in this couple uh, had a sister. And at one time she came to me and she said, she said, my husband's beating me up. Can you help me? And I, you know, with the standard answer, hey, you better call the police. She said, no, he'll get around that. You know, I really didn't know what to do. But right now, if something like that happens, I sure as hell know what to do. I'm going to say, here, take my 380 and take my white dog. And you feed this dog hot dogs for three days and then go any place you want with this dog on a leash and you won't have any trouble. You know, if that guy gets by that dog, that's why you got the 380. Yeah, and it'll probably slow him down on his approach, if nothing else. And uh, I want to, like, we're about ready to finish up here, but I want to go back just a little bit on the electric fencing. There was a few things in your notes I wanted to make sure we covered before we finished up today. 
And one was you do not use a POSNEG fence, period. Why? Okay, POSNEG fence, and you know, people trust the people that sell them fence. And, and I don't care who it is, whether it's Premier or anybody else. Premier probably knows more than most of them, but a lot of them, they're salesmen, but they don't not. They don't try to keep a thousand goats in downtown San Francisco. I'll guarantee it. And they don't know that much about the fence, and they pretty much know what they're told by somebody else, probably a manufacturer or whatever. Even if some of them that do use it really don't know what they're talking about. Lots of times they'll they'll tell you that if you're in dry ground, you should use a pog posneg fence. And basically, what that is is um, it's like two separate fences laid into one. So with most fences, a regular pause fence, um, you have to touch some part of that fence and your feet have to be grounded someplace or another part of your body has to be grounded to the ground so that the uh, electricity comes from the fence, goes through your hand or whatever body part you've touched the fence with and goes down through your body and out through your feet. And that's the way a standard positive fence works. In a pause-neg situation, the first uh, wire on the fence, the, the tallest one is positive, the next one down is negative, the next one's positive, the next one's negative, all the way down to the bottom. And the, and the, the one that's just a few inches over the ground would be, um, would be a positive wire. But most people, when they hook that stuff up, they don't hook it to a ground. They just because in that fence, if you touch any of the two fences, uh, the positive and the negative together, all you've got to do is like try to stick your head through that. You're going to get zapped not through the ground, but through the the hot wire and the negative wire underneath it. You know, or the opposite way, the hot wire and then the negative wire up above it. That's how the electricity is going to go. You're becoming the circuit completion. You're you're completing the circuit, yeah. so you're absorbing it all. Well, not so much as you're absorbing it all, because you're going to get a shock no matter how that happens. But yeah, in dry ground, they're saying you're getting a better ground that way, and of course okay. you are. But what happens um, is the bottom one is is a live wire, and it's like maybe it's five or six inches above the ground. What happens when a goat or a sheep or other animal puts his head down there to get that grass that's just way low? All of a sudden, there's the ground, and there's that first wire up, which is positive, but there's nothing to, there's nothing to complete that circuit. It teaches them to go underneath. And uh, one time I bought a couple hundred goats from a guy who was doing grazing with them, and he was going to take them to slaughter, and um, he couldn't keep them in. And I knew why I couldn't keep them in. And they, they would be, they'd even have to stay up with these goats all night long someplace because they'd be getting out all night. And would, somebody would have to be beating them off the fences. I mean, they'd really gotten bad. And um, the guy was, uh, he didn't want to see him go to slaughter. And so he was willing to sell them to me at a, at a real discount price. And then I just put them in a straight pause fence with a lot of juice into it. And it stopped them. And they're really some of the best goats I had. They're really nice looking goats. But, um, that's part of, you know, not knowing what you're doing and uh, paying the price for it. Yeah, absolutely. So are there certain things that maybe other than that will kind of guarantee you're going to have failures if you don't do them with your fencing? Oh, yeah. One one other thing before I forget is that um, lots of times what these fence salesmen will try to do is sell you this netting fence that's got uh, two 
two posts on the bottom of it, and then they'll tell you that they're more stable. And, you know, if you've got wet ground or if you've got a lot of wind situation or that kind of thing. And uh, what happens is when the ground gets dry, you can't get those things in the ground. So two things you don't want. You don't want posneg fence. And you don't want fence that's got two stakes on the bottom of it because when the ground starts drying up, you're going to have to take one of those uh, cordless electric drills and make holes for that thing to go down on the ground. The stuff will just break your heart trying to trying to use it. It's um, it's really bad stuff. <clears throat> and one thing that people they can see it in the instructions. I, I think some people don't even read the instructions when they get um, when they buy some of this electric fencing, but the thing that is most important, well, two things. One, before you buy the fence, buy a fence tester so you know what your fence is doing. Okay, then the other thing that that is really important is that you have to have the best ground you can possibly get. And in some cases, the ground is very dry, and it's hard to get a good ground on your fence. And that's how the circuit works. You've got to have a good ground. And when you do that, one people, we always, we always use two ground rods spaced at least 10 feet apart with a jumper cable. And you can test to make sure you're, you're getting a good enough ground by using your fence tester and just instead of testing the fence, put the fence tester on the ground rod and it'll tell you how much juice is in that rod. There really should never be more than 400 volts or maybe 600 volts. You should be able to um, touch that ground rod and not get a shock off of it. And if it's like a 1,000 or more than that, then the juice, a lot of the juice is not going into the fence. It's just going into the ground rod and back into the ground. So you're losing that. If you get that... Uh, that ground correct, then all that juice is going into the fence and it's going to have more um, more power into it. One of the ways you can do that, again, adding more ground rods. When we use um, when we use a, a, a test a, a energizer, we're using those Speedrite 3000s. They can either be hooked up to a battery. They they've got another setup in there where you can plug them in. So they're they're pretty uh, versatile. Uh, energizer and um but again they 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 do need a good ground never use less than two ground rods on any and that's only a three joule charger and the bigger the charger the more ground rods you have to use and they should be again 10 feet apart and with a uh, jumper in between them <clears throat> and people will the first thing they'll start start doing is just using one ground rod and the other thing is that you can um, add water to the area where these ground rods are and let it drip in there and that'll help that'll help keep your ground. We think last year we got three inches of rain here. Um, and that's not a lot of rain. People say, Well, we're in dry ground and we got fourteen inches of rain, that's all we get. Well hell, I got three inches, you know, in a good year. I, if if the guy if I got 14 inches out here, I think I was in pretty high cotton. You know, it, it just I have to deal with dry ground all the time, and that's the bane of electric fences. So that that would be another thing I would really look for is um, is making sure I can't say enough about it. 
people, I'll tell people this constantly, and then I'll go to the place and they'll have one ground rod. And then we, we sold a bunch of sheep to uh, some really nice folks, uh, CSA folks, and went to their place and to see what they were doing. And well, you guess the fences aren't even on. Here's these animals in here, and they've got free range chickens, they've got sheep, and the, the electric fences aren't even turned on. Why would you not turn on an electric fence? I, I just, it's beyond me. And I said to these people, these fences aren't even on. The guy says, yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> I don't get it. Well, I don't get that because it's one thing if you don't buy an electric fence, right? It's another thing to buy one, set it up, and and, and not turn it on. That's like, I don't know, that's like cutting your seatbelt out of your car and still hooking the buckle together. It just doesn't really make any sense at all. Yeah, I, and I see it all the time. That's the worst part of it. And what are you doing? That's the same thing we're talking about. You're training your animals to get out. And then the next thing I hear is, Electric fence doesn't work. And, you know, I hear that with a lot with the permaculture guys, you know. If I was a permaculture guy, the first thing I would have is an electric fence. That's going to keep um, the squirrels. It's going to keep the rabbits. It's going to keep a lot of stuff out. Maybe it won't keep a deer out. But if I put um, if I put a white dog in there, I'm not going to have any deer in my permaculture no. That could no. be a problem, you know. It's not going to be any squirrels, and guess what? White dogs eat squirrels. They love eating squirrels. So um, <laughs> it's like to eat squirrels. It's like the the mortal enemy of all canine species is the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if they even know that there's a, uh, um, if they even know that there's a dog in, in in that area, and that dog is out marking the space, usually the squirrels will stay away. But a big problem for uh, people in a lot of areas with their garden are these kind of rodents and um, and the deer. And I was listening to another podcast where this guy's talking about, yeah, he's, he's going back to the he's going back to the farm. He's working sometimes in the he's still got his office job and he's going out and he put up a four foot fence around his garden to keep the deer out. Well, we know how that's working, right? Yeah, I'll have some. In the podcast, he's saying, well, I'm going to take that all down. I'm going to put up a six-foot fence. Well, like, I don't even need to see him do that. I know what that's going to do, too, you know. But, That'll keep um, the little deer out, but it's not going to keep the adults out at all. It probably uh, won't even keep a little deer out. I've seen even a California deer, California deer fairly I'm small. I'm about like and, uh, juveniles more is what I'm saying. Like, you know, like a, a new fawn is not going to be able to clear that. I, but, I've, I've seen a, a new fawn jump a four-foot fence just yep. flat. Just flat jump, but just kind of not even get a running start. Just hop over it. A newborn. I just couldn't believe it, you know. So I know the six-foot fence isn't going to work for this guy either. But if he if he'd have taken one of these uh, temporary netting fences and put it around there and put a white dog in there, end the problem. Nothing's going to go in there. And he's not even going to worry about two-legged predators either. There's going to be nothing going in there. So a good thing uh, for the for the guys that are doing permaculture. Uh, you hear from them lots of times, and they're real smart people. This fence doesn't, electric fence doesn't work. I can't use electric fence, you know. But again, if you're not doing the certain things, like making sure you got a good ground, making, we always, before we put these fences up, we always have to weed each spot, make sure that there's, there's no, uh, vegetation touching the, that first live wire that goes up there. It's gonna start sapping that fence. And, and making sure that our fences are always as high as we can get them. 7,000 to 10,000 volts is where we want to see them. The closer to 10,000, the better. And they're going to keep everything in and keep the predators out. 
Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned, you know, permaculture. I just had Jeff Lott on the show, and it's exactly what he's doing, very similar to you, to control cattle. He's, he's shifting them in, in, in high-density, small paddock uh, shifts using electric fencing to keep cattle in, and he's moving them along, and he's actually using the cattle to advance forests, where mo most people would think that cattle are a negative impact on a forest, but by going into the land that's dilapidated, allowing the cattle to graze and manure, and then advancing the forest behind them, he's having a lot of success with it. So there's definitely precedent in the uh, permaculture world from one of the leading guys in the world in permaculture for using these uh, portable electric fences. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's not so hard to keep cattle in. Cattle will stay in an electric fence with about 3,000 volts. Um, goats and sheep, there and predators. You're talking at least 5,500 volts. It gets a little iffy sure. even at that. And um, and horses probably only like 2,000 volts. It doesn't take much to keep a horse in. And so that's when a lot of people start buying these feed store chargers and stuff like that. Because sometimes they'll get away with they get away with it on cattle and and um, and that. Well, then they try to use it on their goats, and that's not going to work so much. I mean, cattle are not the the brightest bulbs. Um, I have friends down in South Texas that have a lot of the, you know, the cattle guards set up with the, uh, so you've got the gate you can drive across and it's got the piping. And if the cattle try to walk in there, they slide between the pipes that hurts their hooves. And after once or two of those, they just, they stay away from the cattle guards. So they had a new place they put some stuff in and all he did, they put a, a, a concrete ramp in and they didn't have a cattle guard set up yet. So he took black paint. And he planted, painted black stripes on the light-colored concrete, and the, the cattle wouldn't go near it because it looked like a cattle guard. And yeah, they actually do that on some of the roads out here in California. I've seen that before where they, they paint a cattle guard on the road. So that's kind of cool. I don't think that would work on a goat, though. They're, 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 I think goats are smarter than cows, but uh, – this has been a great interview, uh, uh, Mike. I, I really appreciate you being on. I think you've opened people's eyes to uh, a new side of grazing and uh, probably given a lot, of, a lot of folks out there that have, you know, the smaller homesteads, 5, 10 acres, and they have all this, this, this land they need to do something to control, uh, you know, weed growth on an, another option. So I appreciate you being with us here today. Well, I appreciate you having me. The TSP has been real important in my life some just little ways and, and some big ways and uh um, yeah i did do the paleo thing and uh i lost 40 pounds and i've always been a diabetic but i'm not on insulin anymore so the tsd is really important to me and i am and you can really get an education by just listening to that or five minutes with jack it's, it's really great thanks for all you do jack well hey i appreciate you being here again and, and thanks for sharing the paleo story it's uh it's becoming more and more common to hear stories like that, so hopefully other people will uh, will stop listening to mainstream nutritionists, which are trained by mainstream food manufacturers, to tell us that, that eating like a goat is good for us. We're not goats. We're human beings, so uh, I'm glad to hear that. And, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Mike Kennedy, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a 
Revolution.